Good morning. Good morning, you guys. Oh, I'm going to put my glasses on. Oh, my goodness. It's good to see all now. Oh, there we go. It's good to see everybody this morning. Oh, man, I'm just trying to take it all in, being in Waverly, Belmont, being back. It feels good. It's good to see so many faces that I, that I love. And if you're joining us via live stream, we're excited that you got to join us as well. Uh, as we continue our study through the book of John, uh, we find ourselves in the middle of a section of Scripture known as the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, John, in contrast with the other synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, loves to dive into his conversational detail. And uh, this section is no exception. Uh, This incredibly intimate interaction between Jesus and his disciples takes place over chapters 13 through 17 on the same evening that Jesus is going to be arrested. To prime our minds for this passage, I wanted to... uh, pose a question for you guys, and I just kind of wanted you to mull it over in your brains, and it's, it's kind of a heavy question, but I, th- I think it needs to be asked. Have you ever in your life thought about giving up on being uh, a Christian? Have you ever, whether in your youth or your adult life, or, you know, at any point in your life, have you ever thought about walking away and not identifying as a follower of Christ. It's heavy, but it's, it's, good, it's good to mull over. You may have considered walking away because you were bullied for your faith. You also may have considered walking away because, because you witnessed a Christian using his or her faith to bully others. This life as a Christian may feel like a daunting job. All this weight to change the world, and convince everyone to follow Jesus, whatever the case may be, I'm sure at some point in our lives, y'all have considered throwing the towel and no longer following Christ. Oddly enough, Jesus knew we'd have this problem. In fact, he tells us point blank in John chapter 16, verse 1, in the passage we're about to read, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. The whole reason he is saying what he is saying is to encourage his disciples and to keep them from walking out. Through this passage, we're going to see Jesus sit with his disciples as he lets them in on what they can expect as followers of Christ. Jesus is going to reveal two general truths to his disciples on what will occur when he leaves this world. Number one, we can expect opposition. And number two, we can expect help. There's a a lot in this passage, so we're just going to dive right in. If you guys could stand with me this morning as we dive into God's word, John chapter 15, 18 through 16, 15. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. 
But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will bear witness for me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth, but he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Would you all pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word and for the truth that it holds, God. I pray that you give us open minds and open hearts to experience exactly what you want us to this morning. We are so grateful. We love you so much, and it's because you loved us first, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Y'all can sit down. For a large portion of this upper room discourse, we have seen the topic of love saturating the conversation. In fact, the verse right before this section, verse 17 says, these things I command to you so that you will love one another. But we are picking up in verse 18, which acts as sort of a hinge between two distinct themes that feel so different and yet go hand in hand. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you've read any part of the gospel, you will notice very quickly the feelings people have towards Jesus are often one of two things. Either they adore him or they despise him. Jesus is polarizing, to say the least. This passage will exemplify that attitude. As you may notice, John loves to use this word world, which in his gospel, which appears roughly 78 times. It is the Greek word cosmos, and this word can mean a lot of different things depending on the context. But when we read this passage, here's the definition I want you all to have in your brains. When when John says the world, it is the sinful system that that actively opposes God and the spread of the gospel. The sinful system that actively opposes God and the spread of the gospel. So that's what I want us to have in our brains. But wait, Levi, you may ask. Jesus just said that we're followers of him and we're called to love others. So why would the world hate people who are loving others? That doesn't 
compute, at least it doesn't in my earthly brain. Verses 19 through 21 give us that answer. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. In Genesis, we read that God created a very good creation. He created man and woman to cultivate the earth together. And unfortunately, bless you, in the face of a choice between trusting in the Lord's plan or rebelling and creating our own system, humanity chose to rebel. This rebellious system we chose is the world as we know it today. And now, according to verse 19, by God's grace, Jesus has chosen us out of this rebellious world. If Christ lives in us, and we are actively participating in that relationship, the world sees Christ in us and through us. Christ, the king of the universe, the master of all creation, that is what the world hates. And because the world hated Jesus, we know it did not have a relationship with the Father. The world hates us not because of who we are, but because of who we are in Christ. Verse 22 through 25. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law, in their law, must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus was born a man, taking on the role of a servant, and is the clearest representation of God the world has ever seen because he is fully God. He performed miracles, he fulfilled the law, as well as numerous prophecies, including Psalm 35, 19, and Psalm 69, 4, when it said, they hated me without a cause. The people of Israel are without excuse. God himself came and they rejected him. Whoever hates Jesus hates the Father, for the Father and the Son are one. A rejection of the Son is a direct rejection to the triune God. Verses 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus brings a slight shift in the conversation. The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will bear witness and will equip the disciples to do the same. Now before we transition into chapter 16, I wanted us to dive into our first truth. Truth number one, we can expect opposition. How do we know this? It's because Jesus told us People will hate you. They will hate us. Now, more often than not, we as first world Christians, I don't feel like fully comprehend and understand what this section really means. In order to do so, 
we need to consider the rest of what Jesus has been saying through this entire discourse. You will be hated by the world for loving others in the name of Jesus. This is true. This is a 100% fact. This is what Jesus said. But this does not give us justification to hate the world in return. I wanted to give you all a a quick story. Whenever uh, uh, my wife Rachel and I were in college, um, most of you all know Rachel. If you don't know her, you should meet her. She's wonderful. Um, When we were in college, Rachel would work as a server at a bunch of different restaurants. And for when, you know, when people would put their schedules in for their weekly shifts, Rachel would always specifically request the lunch, and then it would usually result in the dinner service on Sundays, on Sunday mornings. Now, for any of you who have ever been a server before, you know that Sundays are notorious for being the absolute worst day of the week to work. And the reason for this is because churchgoers going out to eat on Sundays after church are well known for being incredibly unkind and disrespectful to servers. That is a well-known fact in the serving community. So, Rachel would always specifically ask off on that day in hopes of sparing non-churchgoers from experiencing what she and I believe to be a terrible representation of Jesus. Just a logical conclusion. If all the churchgoers, which is often the case, if you were working on, so you would usually ask off Sunday so you could go to church, which would leave the non-churchgoers to serve the churchgoers. And they had this less than reputable picture of what Christians are. Nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus justify cruelty from the church. Just because someone hates us does not give us justification to hate people back. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Matthew 5.44-45a says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In John 13.34-35, we read this a few weeks ago, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus has been just pouring this on for chapter after chapter. The reason people know that we are followers of Jesus is because we love others. That's how we know. That's how other people know. That's what makes us different from this world. If you hate people who hate you, how does that make you any different from the world? It doesn't. The world doesn't hate you because you're you. The world hates you because it sees Jesus in you. That's what the world hates. Don't be like the world. Our love on behalf of Christ is what denotes us as followers of Jesus, and the world can't stand it. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. 
They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their, hour, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Here we get back to the reason that we covered from at the beginning of why Jesus is sharing all of this. Followers of Christ need to know how much the world will hate them so that they don't lose faith and fall away out of discouragement. Jesus tells his disciples that they will be kicked from the synagogues. Now, in the ancient Near East, to be kicked out of the synagogues wasn't like leaving a church here, obviously. In Tennessee, we live in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. If you leave a church, if you decide, I don't want to go to this, you can literally walk two feet and find another one. There are churches everywhere. I've joked, you could, you could, if you chuck a tennis ball in any direction, there's a very good chance you'll hit a church. They're all over the place. But in the ancient Near East, to be kicked out of the synagogues was to be utterly isolated from all social life in Israel. It often resulted in a loss of employment and a complete rejection by your family. Jesus isn't telling them that they won't get to go to their favorite church with their friends anymore. He's saying their lives as they know it are about to be shaken. Their own families could disown them for what Jesus is asking them to do. He then goes on to say that they will be killed by people who will claim they're doing it in the service of God. I don't know why we don't talk about this verse more. How much of church history does that sound like? How much has happened in the past 2,000 years, let alone the past 50, where people have been saying, I'm going to do this for God, or I'm justified by the Bible to do this horrible thing, when that is nowhere and in no way the case? using the Bible in an incorrect interpretation to justify cruelty. Jesus says these things will happen because they have not known the Father nor me. This means that if the world is the one who will hate and persecute us, as we've already covered, and Jesus says people will persecute us in the name of God, then that means we can expect the world to claim that what they are doing is from the Lord. Not all who claim Jesus follow Jesus. Just because they have a Christian platform and claim to know Jesus does not mean they follow him. Again, Jesus literally gave us the measuring stick of how people will know that we are disciples of Jesus by our Christ-like love. If you don't see Christ-like love, You need to be concerned. That's literally the measuring stick. That's literally the bare minimum. Verses five and six. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Bless you. I did want to point out, though, that Peter did seem to ask this question And John 13, verse 36, when he said, he literally says, Lord, where are you going? Now, either Jesus is super forgetful, which he's not, 
or Jesus is referring more than referring to more than just the wording of what is being said. And Jesus gives us this answer in verse 6. The disciples aren't asking for actual answers of where Jesus is going, but are feeling sorrow in their heart from their Savior leaving. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I don't, I don't know about y'all, but when, when I was growing up as a, a little tender-hearted Christian, I, John 16, 7 was, was one of those verses that I had a really hard time wrapping my head around. It is, it is to your advantage that I go away. That, that, that didn't come, I hated the idea of it being a good thing that Jesus was leaving. I just couldn't grasp that. But it, it was a good thing. Jesus humbled himself and became a man. He can only be in one physical place at a time as he leads and teaches those around him. The spirit, however can enter the hearts of believers and non-believers alike. It is, a, it is good that Jesus left so that the Spirit could come. Jesus tells us the Spirit can't come unless Jesus leaves. But when he does come, verse 8 through 11, tell us what will happen. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus lays out what the Spirit of the Lord is going to do when he arrives. He will convict. Some of your Bibles may say convince, and for all you KJV folk, it's going to say reprove. The word in the Greek is the word alenko, which just means to expose. The Spirit of the Lord is coming to expose something within the world. The Spirit makes the world aware of the filth that is within the heart of humanity and convicts those hearts concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, because that's what separates us. Righteousness, because that's what God wants for us. And judgment, because that is what is destined for us. The Spirit is yet another gift from the Lord to make the world aware of its utter and complete depravity so that in response they might cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verses 12 and 13. When Jesus said, excuse me, I still have many, wrong verse, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. When Jesus says that his disciples cannot bear these things now, either it's more than they are capable of understanding at this point, or it is more than they're capable of doing at this point. Either way, I think we're kind of getting to the heart of the meaning behind it. The disciples aren't ready but they will be eventually. They will be equipped to hear and do what is needed. And then Jesus goes on to verse 13 to express the closeness of the Spirit to the Trinity. Whatever he hears, he will speak. Quick water break.
Whatever the Spirit hears, he will speak. What the Spirit hears from the Father and the Son, he speaks. I don't think we fully realize what is being said here. We walk through life in a world that is directly opposed to the Word of God. Our identity is in Christ, nothing else. Our eggs are all in one basket. Jesus is the way. That's it. The enemy knows this. We need all the help we can get. So who does the Lord give as a helper? He he sends himself, his spirit. When the truth is preached, when the hearts are convicted, when our souls are comforted, that is the presence of God. I don't care how old you are. If you trust in Jesus as Savior, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that his death and resurrection was sufficient to save you from your sins, then the gift of the Holy Spirit is yours. The Spirit lives within you as we speak. God's presence right now. Not like he's, uh, he's here. That blows me away. I've read this so many, I, that's still, I still can't, like, his gift is himself. I can't, I could, I just, I could go on and on and on about that. Golly. Verse 14 and 15. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. These two verses wonderfully summarize what we have been experiencing in chapter 16. And it leads us to our second truth, truth number two. We can expect help. Jesus has has spent his entire ministry showing his disciples how to live, to care for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, to actively love those put in our lives who are hardest to love. Sometimes the calling of a Christian can be extremely heavy. You can feel that heaviness. It feels like we're being called to single-handedly change the world and convince everyone to follow Jesus all while we are just utterly despised. It feels impossible. As Christians, we are called to live differently. Like the disciples, We live by Jesus' teaching and example as we spread the gospel to all who will hear in hopes that others will come to know him. But don't think for a second that we are the ones who are changing the world. It's not us. As much as we think we can argue and yell people into heaven, we can't. We just can't. The Holy Spirit will convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment for those in the world. We walk through life as image bearers of God in a fallen world. That is what we are called to do. Walk as image bearers. To be the hands and the feet of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin and judgment. We are called to love others relentlessly as Christ did. We are not called to judge. That's God's job. Our job is to faithfully love and serve others. 
as I welcome the band back up here, um, I wanted to reiterate some things because we covered a lot. There's just all sorts of topics we covered today. The reason Jesus said all these things is so that we wouldn't fall away. We will be hated. That's true. We're going to be hated. But we have got to make sure that we are hated for the right reasons. Y'all, we, we as Christians can be the most prideful, cruel, obnoxious, oblivious, boneheaded people. Some of the most frustrating people on the planet stand behind a pulpit on Sundays. If you are being hated because of your superiority complex or your foolishness, you should not be proud of that. We are called to faithfully share and represent our king, not ourselves. We are called to love others even when it's really hard. And when we are hated and despised for faithfully representing the name of Jesus, we can know that we don't do this alone. We have a helper. I'll leave you guys with this. It's a little teaser for next week's sermon, which I am so pumped about. I am so pumped. John 16, 33. I think it summarizes what we've covered today really, really beautifully. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Oh, that's so nice. In those moments of discouragement, in those moments of frustration, in those moments of, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't fun. Don't lose heart. The Lord is the one who will overcome the world, not you. He may use you, but that, he's the one who's going to do it. Our job is to faithfully serve as image bearers of God, as the Holy Spirit convicts the hearts of the world to faithfully serve as image bearers of God. Would y'all pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you and the fact that you love us, the creator of the universe, the creator of the stars, the creator of our, the oxygen that powers our heart. I, I, I can't get my head around it. That the all-powerful Lord of creation loves us and loves us enough that in our complete and, other, and utter filth that you sent the gift of your spirit to help us. Thank you for helping us realize that we can't do this by ourselves. 
and that we need you. I pray for all the brothers and sisters in this room, God, that they feel encouraged, that they know that they have your presence in their chest right now. that you're in complete control and that we can trust you through those moments of discouragement and that we know that we can take heart because you are king. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.